welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. Hello, everybody. This is Punch It, episode 19. I am your co-host, Trista Riddell, and with me, as always, is... Charlene Schmidt. I am excited today because uh, we had a little confusion at the top of the episode. Uh, actually, before we started recording the episode, I was all <laughs> right gung-ho. Before. Right before. We're talking seconds before because I was like, all right, Char, I'm down. I'm ready. Let's do this. And I got my research already. I got my choices and you're like, wait, we're not doing that this week. We're talking about Gilmore Girls Season 2 this week. <laughs> In part, it's my fault because we had decided on this other mystery topic, which we will talk about next week. But shortly after that, I said, hey, I'm really close to finishing Season 2 of Gilmore Girls. Why don't we record that for this episode while it's fresh in my brain? And then we'll do the other thing the following. And you said, okay. And then you forgot. (laughs) Completely and utterly forgot because I was agonizing over these choices. And I was like, okay, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And I start writing it down, taking notes. And then you drop the knowledge bomb. And I'm like, well, good thing that I've seen season two of Gilmore Girls infinity times. So this should be easy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. For those who did not listen to our season one Gilmore Girls punch it episode, What we're doing here is I'm going through Gilmore Girls, the entire series, one season at a time, and we are talking about it because this is the very first time that I've seen it. I do not know what happens after this, so my knowledge is limited entirely to season one and season two. Meanwhile, you, Tristan, are pretty much an expert. You have watched this show infinity times. You know it inside and out. And so today we are talking about season two. And the reason why we're even doing this is because we don't normally do reviews or discussions of just, uh, like, we we don't do episode reviews, we don't really do show reviews too terribly much, because we're not really a review show. But the reason why we're talking about Gilmore Girls is because, in my opinion, in this podcaster's opinion, I believe that Gilmore Girls is one of the best written shows of this century. And I know that's a lofty claim, but then again, we've only been in this century for 17 years. (laughs) <laughs> but I love Amy Sherman Palladino uh, and what she did with creating this show and developing this show with her husband. And I believe that there's a lot of behind the scenes information that's really interesting about how they wrote the episode, how the actors got used to reciting these lines because it's so quick in its dialogue. And do I think that Amy Sherman Palladino is infallible? No, I think she's incredibly flawed. But with flaws come beauty and with disagreements come art. And that is why I love Gilmore Girls so much is I meet so many macho guys who are like, why would I watch something called Gilmore Girls? That's about a about a hot mom and her hot daughter. Like that's, you know, like, like what the, like <laughs> maybe I'll watch it because I would like to look at him and I'm like, no, you're an idiot. You hypothetical person, you. Uh, but <laughs> I always tell them, I was like, if you like good writing, watch this show. And that's why we're talking about it on Punch It! writing in pop culture yes now i want to say right off the bat we talked a little bit last time about what i may or may not punch up in season one in season two there Mm. is not a whole lot i would want to punch up 
because things really start to get going in season two. We have a lot to talk about. So why don't we just dig in? Let's do it because, you know, when you talked about season two, I was just like, oh, okay, I got, I got to read up that, that quick uh, Wikipedia summary because so, I, it's all kind of like one journey to me. You know, like when you watch a show as much as I have with Gilmore Girls, everything bleeds together where you're like, oh, is that season three or season four? You know, what was oh, that? Sure. When you start talking Max and I was like, that's the season where she accepts Max's proposal but then ditches him three episodes later. I'm like, oh, and that's the one yeah. where Rory gets into a car accident. Or that's the one where Rory kisses Jess for the first time. Or that's the one where Lorelai makes an ass of herself. Oh, wait, that's every single season. You know? <laughs> and several episodes within every season. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. And so I, that's when I was just like, holy crap, a lot happens in this season. And for those of you who haven't seen season two, please save this podcast until you've seen it. Because it is worth seeing. It is worth investing the time. Go and watch it. It's on Netflix right now. Yeah, I can attest. So when you watch season one, I want to talk about when you finish season one and you were like, say you're home, you're in your jammy jams, you got a nice pot of hot cocoa right next to you and you're like, I'm going to watch season two. Right before you flip on the first episode, what were you expecting to see and what were you hoping to see? Well, first off, you create wonderful imagery there, and that was not entirely untrue. <laughs> I didn't have any hot cocoa, but I might have had a warm cup of coffee, maybe some herbal tea, and I was definitely in my pajamas. <laughs> I knew the moment that I said hot cocoa, I was like, she's not going to let it go. She's not just going to roll with it. She's going to do po bad podcasting and correct me and say it was probably coffee. Okay, first off, I'm watching Gilmore Girls. They don't drink anything but coffee unless it's wine. Side note, side note. Behind the scenes information. So Alexis Bledel, the uh, actress who plays Rory, hates coffee. She does really. <laughs> the poor she kid. She hates coffee. So whenever they uh, are pouring coffee for her, it's actually Coke. It's actually Coca-Cola. Oh, hey. <laughs> that makes sense. Hey, by the way, you ought to sprinkle in a lot more of that behind the scenes information because I know none of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. So, okay. Going into season two. My feelings on season one, just as a quick recap, were like, uh, it's okay, it's, it's a decent show, but I wasn't completely on board with it. And so my expectations were, I kind of want to see this show really come into its own. I wanted to have its legs. And mm -hmm. then I didn't have any specific things I wanted to see out of it. I just wanted to see it grow and mature and see where that led. And then that was going to help me determine, okay, do I really like this show? Do I despise this show? Am I really ambivalent about this show? And so just really general overview, that is exactly what happened, is this show, I feel, in season two gets its legs. It solidifies. These characters are down. And it is really excellent storytelling at this point. So I'm really thrilled with season two. It's becoming a show that I look forward to watching. I can't wait to find out what happens next. And I love these characters. I love them all. Why do you love them all? Like, who, who do you love the girls? Do you love uh, the guys as well? Do you love the side characters? Like, wh why do they pop up into your head? What I like is it seems that these characters have come into their own. For the most part, all of them. Maybe Dean is a little two-dimensional, but <laughs> our main, uh, you know, solid characters, the Gilmore family, let's say, I would say the writers at this point definitely know these characters very well and know how to portray mm -hmm. them. Whereas in season one, uh, I think it wavered just a little bit. Now it's much more consistent. And 
let's just start with Lorelai. I think Lorelai, despite her missteps, is growing up a lot. She is really learning from her mistakes, and she has taken some big risks, like accepting Max's marriage proposal. And she has learned a lot from that by, uh, well, by ultimately calling off the wedding, but (laughs) that said a lot, and it kind of continues this thread where deep down, and I think a lot of us maybe had an inkling of this in season one, is she still loves Christopher, who is Rory's father, for those who don't know. So there's a lot of that recurring throughout as Christopher kind of fades in and out. And Christopher, meanwhile, he's changing a lot. He's actually trying to be responsible. He holds down a job now. He's making money. He's creating a life for himself. Holy wow. And that's extremely attractive to Lorelai. So it's kind of fun to see her light up at the possibilities while trying not to get her hopes up too much because mm-hmm. she knows she's been down this road. She tries not to get disappointed. But the possibility is there and it fluctuates in terms of how possible it is throughout the whole season. And then meanwhile, You've got Luke, and Luke, I think, changed a lot, where um, he takes in Jess. That's obviously a big change right there, where suddenly he's responsible for a teenage boy. And, of course, he does not know what to do with this kid. Then you have the whole thing where he's trying to get a new apartment, and Luke does not like change, and so this is a huge step for him. Just even going out there and seeing what's out there. Putting Mm -hmm. him out of his comfort zone is kind of fun, because he kicks and screams the whole way, and it's great. (laughs) And then there is Jess. He is in some ways a trope where he is that misunderstood bad boy. But the nice little edge that Jess has is he's extremely intellectual. He's Mm -hmm. very well read. And that is what makes him so attractive to Rory. And that creates that nice little dynamic. Well, it's the it's the Dean antithesis where Dean is interested in sports He's he works at the grocery store. Everybody loves him, and he's not that intelligent. He's that boy you dated in high school, and then yeah, yeah, and he's good. He's a nice guy. He's a nice boy. He's a good guy, and then Jess comes along, and he's he's dangerous. He looks like a young Sylvester Stallone. He's got the leather <laughs> jacket. He's from the big city, you know, and mm-hmm. it's he's smart, but he doesn't he, he doesn't play by anybody else's rules. It's that trope, but the thing is, sometimes in high school, we date those tropes. We date those stereotypes. That is just it, because you have to complicate Rory's relationship with Dean somehow, because this is her first love. It's puppy love. You know it's not going to last. So the fact that this happens is not really the interesting part. It's how it evolves and how they get there and what happens when. So toward the end of season two, while we all know that Rory is falling head over heels in love with Jess and she's in such denial about it, man, how many people did you know at 16 were in a situation like that? I can think of several. Oh, absolutely. It's a very common thing. So yes, it is a trope, but it's also very relatable. And what was really nice about season two in terms of storytelling is I feel like the setting up of things like this was much more natural. Season one, I called it sitcom setup type of stuff mm-hmm. where it felt somewhat artificial, like, oh, okay, this is what we're going to do this week. We're going to put mm-hmm. the characters in this. This feels a lot more natural, and I feel like maybe it's because they took their time doing it, especially with the Jess and Rory romance setup. It didn't happen over one or two episodes. This happened over the course of 
Oh, a good, what, half season? Oh, at least. And I remember you and I having that conversation about season one where you called it, you know, sitcom-y and, and tropey and sitcom setups. And I didn't disagree with you, but I did disagree with uh, with your opinion of whether or not you liked it because I liked it because it was them setting setting things up and trying to find their feet. And I'm glad that you feel that way about season two because I feel like because of what they did in season two maybe hopefully it validates my opinion in your eyes of what they were doing in season one on trying to figure out what yes yes oh thank you this is a point that i wanted to make for this podcast i was hard on season one i will definitely admit that now and here is the thing is season one did what it had to do to pay off everything that they did in season one to make it work in season two and make season two that good Mm-hmm. So, I am sorry, Gilmore Girls Season 1, <laughs> for being so rough on you. You served your purpose. It's, and it, this happens with a lot of shows where Season 1, it does need to find its footing. It is going to be a little wobbly. It's not going to be perfect from the gate out. But you have to go there. You have to go through those growing pains to really figure things out. And then when it does, if the people who run the show know what they're doing, this is what happens. It's not perfection. No show is perfect, but oh, it's yeah. just a darn good journey. You enjoy the experience. So you can't ask for a whole lot more as a viewer. It's interesting because when you, ha- when you look at older television, because this came out in 2000, that's 17 years ago. I know, that's weird. You know, like, I think one point that I made is that you can't look at, tw- you can't use 2017 TV values and look at a show that started in 2000. And right. But the thing is, though, is that this show, you will see the show grow into something that is closer to 2017 sentimentality because with 2017 sentimentality, it's we have an arc. Each season has a purpose. And it's not just random episodes of this is what the characters are doing today or this is what the characters are doing this week. As you move along, because season one was pretty much just, oh, uh, Rory goes to Chilton. Like that was the season. And you're like, well, that's not a lot. That's just a setup. But as you move forward, you'll start to see where it's not just defined by Rory, because if you define it by Rory, season two is like Rory meets Jess. Season three is uh, Rory graduates from Chilton. Season four is Rory goes to college. And you can do that. And so you have this generic framework. But then when you throw in everybody else, it's like, oh, this is the season where Richard quits his job. This is the season where Luke is struggling with his own feelings for Lorelai. And this is the season for where Lorelai is wondering if she should be with the father of her child. And so it all kind of weaves in and out. And so it's no longer those sitcom setups. It's now each season has its own verve, its own style, its own personality. And that's something that I think is really cool from a show, especially one this early on in the 21st century. Right. And aside from the cell phones, it really is easy to forget that this show was made so long ago. And I'm glad to hear that this kind of keeps going where you have the season arcs, you have the character arcs and all that, because that is what's really making this show so incredibly interesting to me. And so as it develops and things get more complex, I don't know, the further I go into it, the more I understand why this show is so beloved. Because the family dynamic is getting really interesting. Like, we saw some really interesting departures. Like, for one thing, the spa day. Where Lorelai and Emily go to the spa. (laughs) And, you know, they're at the bar and Emily dances. And you would never think you would ever see that. 
And of course, she catches herself and is like, oh my god, I cheated on my husband. How dare I? And she gets all uptight again. But she had that moment. We stretched the bounds. And we're seeing Emily and Lorelai also throughout this whole season bonding more. Now, mm-hmm. of course, they're still sometimes fighting like cats and dogs, which is both good and bad. But... At the same time, though, they're really learning more about each other, like where the other person is coming from, which I think is helping them both try a little harder. Because before this show, that wasn't there at all. So this is a lot of evolution in this amount of time. We also see the evolution of Richard as well, because in season one, Richard was pretty much just the grandfather. You know, like he's the guy with the checkbook. He pops in every once in a while. You like him. He's good. But there's not that much depth to him. But in season two, right. you see this fleshed out character of like, who is he at work? You know, we don't really see him at work, you know, like, and, and who is he without work? And how has right. he struggled with that? Because that is something that's something that I really enjoy about this is because when even though it's called Gilmore Girls, it's not just about Lorelai and Rory. And if you look at all the marketing materials and all the posters and yeah, it's just the two of them on the screen. It's just the two of them on the magazine and everything like that. And for the longest time, if you said Gilmore girls, you thought mother daughter. But one thing that I really appreciated about the revival is that they really stuck at home that Gilmore girls plural is not just mother and daughter, but mother, daughter and grandmother. And Mm. I really like the enhanced presence of Emily Gilmore in season two. You see a lot more of the grandmother and you see a lot more complexities to her. And I really appreciate that because what's better than tackling two generations of Gilmore girls. It's tackling three generations because (laughs) we don't get to see that many storylines in television at all with people over 50 or over 60. Yes, yes, that's very, that's a really good point to make. There is not much representation of this age category whatsoever, male or female, grandma or not. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can think of the Golden Girls. Um, there was, um... Orange is the New Black has Kate Mulgrew as well as other older ladies. And you and I are struggling to give examples, and it's just yeah. so sad because... <laughs> it is. Even though people over 60 buy some of the most stuff and watch some of the most TV they are not catered to in pop culture. And I remember Boston Legal was canceled because I think they inferred that Boston Legal was was canceled because it featured so many people over the hill, quote unquote. And so they even broke the fourth wall and complained about that in the show. And when you watch Gilmore Girls, I think the best way to do that, the best way to have the older generation in it is that you got to mix it in with you know, someone in the middle and someone younger, because if you have just the golden girls, you know, it's it, it might not attract that wide of an audience today. And uh, so, yeah, that's one reason why I really appreciate season two, because it fleshes out the grandparents a whole lot more. Absolutely. Yeah. Richard was just kind of a two dimensional character where he was grandpa. He was Emily's husband and he worked a lot. He was right. very highly involved in his business. That is what we knew this season he gets turned upside down. What is he without work? And he has to find his way. And for a while, it's really painstaking for him. And he does find his way. And it's kind of cool to see how and why that happens. You know, the whole thing where he's the business advisor to Rory's group and all that. It gets those wheels turning for him. And he thinks, you know what? I got this. I know what to do now. And lo and behold, 
he's off and away, and we're going to find out what happens next season, whether he's a success or not. Well, since we're talking about all this character growth and all this good writing when it comes to not only dialogue, but also the trajectory of the characters, is Luke, when we see Luke's flirtation with with Lorelai grow and expand, and we see that bubbling underneath him where he's clearly frustrated and he's clearly trying to tackle his own feelings towards her, it would have been so easy to make him this puppy dog that just follows her around and does whatever she wants. And yep. it, you see that all the time in TV and in movies and everything like that, where it's if it's unrequited, then there must be someone who is a lesser of the two. Yeah. But with season two, we see that that's not the case, where Lorelai knows that Luke is into her, and she abuses that power. She does, yes. By trying to tell him whom he can date. And not only does Luke disregard this feeling, uh, this request... He yells at her and says, I'm going to date whoever I want, and you don't have a say in it. And he literally rightfully shouts so. at her. Yeah, and rightfully so. And that, like you were talking earlier about, you know, like Rory's relationship with Dean and the a possible relationship with Jess and everything like that, about how we knew people in this situation in high school and how we could have been in this situation as well. I was very much in a situation like Luke and Lorelai's in high school where there was this girl who I was friends with and I really liked. And I went to her and I said, hey, I like you. And she said, "Ah, I don't like you that way, but we should just be friends. And I'm just like, okay, fine. I swung for the fences. I missed. That's cool. Whatever. Yeah. And so we actually maintained a friendship and I never, I stopped thinking about her that way. Because even though I was in high school, I tried to think I was an adult. And <laughs> Right. You got to fake it till you make it. Exactly. But the thing is, she got super upset. You could tell that she was jealous of the time I was spending with other girls. Oh, interesting. She once told me, she said, she's like, you're hanging out with this girl a lot. I think, you know, I thought we were supposed to like, you know, go have dinner or something or you were you were supposed to take me to this party or something like that. Maybe you should calm it down. And I was just like, uh, no, you lost the chance to date me. So right. you no longer have a say over my social schedule. <laughs> So there you go. You go and screw yourself in the corner while I go do what I want. And I think... Right. I mean, you think that's understood when the axe comes down and the rejection sets in. Like, you move on like you're supposed to, uh, but the other person thinks you're going to keep coming back and no. Yeah, I was a backup and Lorelai is treating Luke like a backup. Yes. Yes. And, you know, there were times where I was kind of angry with Lorelai about that just because I thought you well and okay here's the thing is I think people in general tend to do this is not just Lorelai but we abuse the people who we count on the most who we love the most Mm -hmm. we give them the most grief of anybody we don't mean to but it happens all the time and I love that Luke calls her out on this BS Mm -hmm. because yes you're absolutely right Lorelai kind of has Luke in the background It's kind of, I think she's very confused about how she feels about it. She kind of wavers back and forth. Deep down, I think Christopher is like, she thinks that's the love of her life at this point. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, the rest of us, I think we all see, and there's other characters in the show telling her, look, Luke, he wants you. Why do you not see this? Why are you not acting on it? You two act like you're in a relationship already. Sort of like when... um, Suki and oh god what is his name Jackson you always forget Jackson's name I do he's the produce guy to me (laughs) 
Yeah, sort of like when Suki and Jackson started their relationship. They were like the old married couple that hadn't gotten together yet. Mm -hmm. Luke and Lorelai kind of have that in their own vibe. Yeah, it's true. But it's a lot more complex. It, oh, it's uh, it's it's infinitely more complex than uh, Suki and Jackson. Oh, and yeah. I'm glad that they took care of Suki and Jackson right away. Like there was flirtations in season one and then boom, they got engaged in season two. Because if they had two romances simultaneously going on, actually, t- screw that, three romances simultaneously going on of yes. will they or won't they, I would be exhausted at the end of every single episode. And so I'm glad that they took care of that. It would be a bit much. It really would. You know, it'd be more like a soap opera and... I don't think it would be nearly as interesting of a show. And one of my critiques of season one was, why didn't you just have Suki and Jackson get together beforehand? Make them a couple already. That boggles my mind that that, that is your critique. Of why? Season I mean, you, of course, have value in your opinion, but, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just, it perplexes me to think that out of everything that you could complain about of season one, that is what you bring up <laughs> multiple times. Is that Suki and, Suki and Jackson didn't get together quick enough. And I'm like, they got together at the beginning of season two. It, okay, okay. I've mentioned it a few times, but it's not something that I've mentioned incessantly. It is. Oh, no. Okay. You, you brought it up multiple times when we talked about season one, and you brought it up again in season two. Oh, maybe like, what, two or three in the course of that podcast? That is maybe the three max. All right. Moving Come on. on. Yes, we're not talking about season one. Now, in season two, and as we've mentioned before, and we briefly talked about Jess, that is a big thing about season two, is the introduction of Jess. It affects Luke a great deal, it affects Lorelai, it affects Dean, and it affects Rory. It affects the town in a big way. Yes. And yeah. so what did you, besides the the trope of his personality, or at least his his stereotype of the bad boy, what did you think about Jess's reactions and effect on the main characters in the town? It made sense. That's kind of where I'm at with it right now. I'm actually much more curious to see where Jess goes from here because he's now back in Stars Hollow. Or rather, he is asked. I'm assuming he's going to stay aboard. He's one of those great characters where on the surface, all you see is the bad boy. The neighbors and the townspeople, they just see him committing acts of vandalism and causing chaos, Mm -hmm. essentially. And Rory is one of the few people who really sees another side of Jess and understands a little bit more about who he is, where he's coming from. And I think that's also why he's a little more honest. Because normally he's got that just that really short, snappy, one-line response to anybody about anything. Mm Mm-hmm. And leaves it kind of at that. I think we all know somebody that's sort of like this or was like this maybe in teenage years. They're the misunderstood person. Nobody gets me. And the more you try to understand me, the more I'm going to push you away. Somehow Rory broke through. Maybe it was a physical attraction. Maybe there was more to it. Maybe it's because they're both so well read. I'd like to think it's all of the above. So I don't know. Jess is one of those great characters where on the surface he doesn't look like much yeah he does seem like a loser he just seems like trouble he's the bad boy but there's a lot more to it and we have a lot more to learn about him i think and i hope that we do well what was interesting is that when jess's character came on board in season two he was only supposed to be there for a handful of episodes oh no kidding and the producers liked him so much they're like hey we're gonna give you a a main star credit we'll give you a six-year contract and wow the i can never pronounce his name but milo something the the actor who plays just said no give me a two-year contract and they're like okay fine 
and uh just in case he wanted to move on in his life or something yeah exactly which i mean like it, it, it's interesting because a lot of actors would just be like oh my gosh sign me up but he is a young actor exactly at this time yeah you, like it, i feel like if he was 10 years older he probably would have signed that right away but he probably did not completely know for sure the trajectory that he wanted his career to take exactly. so that makes some sense interesting though okay that's really cool and he was such a hit though and so important eventually to the show that they had to keep him on i watched this live as as well as you know watched this several times afterwards and this was in this season season two was in 2001 and 2002 i think is that is that right somewhere around in there yeah and so i was in high school uh, when that was going on like that was my sophomore junior year of high school and so as this was going on, like as Rory was going through high school and going through all these things, I was I think I was almost the exact same age, if not a year younger than Rory was portrayed in mm. the show. And so it was always very interesting to see these parallels of what she was going through uh, in high school and, and what I was going through in high school. And when season two was going on, I remember sitting down in our quad and, you know, sitting on the grass, everybody like having lunch. You know, like in a circle and we, we were talking about tv and Gilmore girls came up and everyone started talking about like like oh well i i think dean is totally right for for rory and other people like get with it you know dean probably beats her and the camera just doesn't even show it and it's like <laughs> wow. yeah it's just like jess like Je <laughs> i'm team jess all the way like even back then people were saying team D dean oh my god and team jess this was 17 uh, really like 15 years ago when people were saying this stuff Oh my god! I thought that was a Twilight. Thing. Oh, it like it. Twilight takes credit for it, but the first time I heard it was with Gilmore Girls, and oh my god! Now, ah! granted, people weren't saying hashtag Team Jess. <laughs> <laughs> At least because not back yet. then it would have been pound sign Team Jess. But it's uh, come on, not even a little laugh from you, like not even. <laughs> uh, uh, that sorry, that just would not have made any sense in that right. context in two thousand two. Uh, so moving on with Jess, it was so interesting to see the, the line in the sand where you were either a Dean fan or a Jess fan. No middle ground. So tell me something. Who was the front runner at this time? Was it Dean or Jess? Uh, I couldn't really tell you. Well, this is when like internet boards were really small and. Oh, no, no, no. I just mean like within your circle of friends. Oh, I think it was, it was you know, quick straw poll. It was, it was pretty split down the middle. I'd have to say it was pretty split down the middle. Yeah. Really? Uh, interesting. Interesting. Because right now I'm on team. Neither of them, neither of them is going to work out. I love Dean. I loved him a lot because he was the good guy. He was good to Rory. He listened to Rory, you know, like he brought her yeah. home on time most of the time. And, uh. <laughs> and he built her a freaking car. I know, like he treated her like a queen. And yeah. I feel like in season two, I felt like Rory abused Dean a great deal. But she didn't mean to. Oh, she should have made a decision. Okay, she should have none of this. Like if you Dude. if you're having feelings for someone else, then go towards that other person and ditch the original person. Stop dangling both of them. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. We gotta talk about this. She is 16. Remember in season one where she could barely approach the guy and say a word? Yes. To have a very difficult discussion like that is some serious emotional growth for a 16-year-old. I don't know if Rory is quite there yet. I mean, she eventually, I think, has to. But she's going to kind of be cornered into it, I think. So you're not Team Dean or Team Jess? No. Simply because I have 
the hindsight being in my 30s of realizing that early romances really help you shape what you eventually do want, what you eventually find, what you're looking for, and then hopefully eventually lead you to finding that ideal person. But usually that doesn't happen until you're in college or later. High school, you're still figuring it out. I really, it used to be in the days where you married your high school sweetheart, she would totally marry Dean if this were the 1950s, but that's just not going to happen. Dean will eventually move on. He's going to be so freaking heartbroken. He will always love Rory. There will always be a part of him that looks fondly upon his time with her. But he's going to find someone just as sweet as him. They're going to get married. They're going to have kids, and they're going to be just freaking fine. Rory, on the other hand, (laughs) she's going to struggle a little bit. And I think a part of it might be due to the fact that she is so intellectually smart, but she's lagging in a little bit of emotional intelligence. She's trying really hard. She's not doing too bad. She has pretty good tact in a lot of areas, but romance, she hasn't had a whole lot to go off of because her mom swore off romance for a lot of her upbringing because... I kind of understand why Lorelai wouldn't want to make such a mess of that. But at the same time, there wasn't much of a template for Rory to look to and say, I want to do that or I don't want to do that based off of the experience. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of a blank slate for her, I think. And so she's figuring it out and she's doing the best that she can. But like her mom, she is stumbling along the way and she has a long way to go. Yeah, it's it's interesting having hindsight and also being older, you know, like both you and I are in our thirties and looking at a show where one of the main cast members is a high school girl with her first boyfriend and now potentially getting her second boyfriend as a replacement. It's that's the other reason why Jess won't work, by the way, he's the rebound guy. (laughs) Well, okay. Rebounds never work. No, no, no. Rebounds is if you like, if you broke up with Dean and then, you try to find a romance to replace it. But if you leave somebody for somebody else intentionally, I don't think that counts as a rebound. Well, I think maybe emotionally it's a little bit of a rebound because I think Rory's love for Dean fizzled out way before she, well, maybe not way before, but before she even fell for Jess. Mm. Like it was okay. It was right. We're hanging out. We're having a good time. But do I love you? I don't know if I'm in love with you. Maybe I love you. Uh, just just love. You know what I mean? I Okay. I'm glad that you brought that up, the whole love thing, because I know that you probably won't believe me, but when I was in high school, I was the guy who said, hey, guys, come on. We're 15. <laughs> no, I believe that entirely. <laughs> <laughs> Where I remember I was sitting I, – I, I remember this exact situation. I think it might have been even earlier than, than high school. Like there was something – like it was eighth grade or it might have been ninth grade. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I was sitting in school and I was sitting in English class and there was these two girls talking right next to me. And I was kind of tertiarily in the conversation. They were friends of mine. Mm-hmm. And this girl was talking about how she has this new boyfriend. He's great. He takes her out. He does this. He does that. And then the other girl was just like, oh, well, do you love him? And she's like, well, I don't know yet. And I interject and I go, guys, come on. We're 15. Right. Like, it's like, even if you, <laughs> even if you think you do, you don't. And they looked at me like I was a, a bug or something. And... And I've always been that way. And so now that I'm in my 30s and actually know what love is, like truly know what unconditional love is, and looking back at almost every single relationship I've had before, especially the ones in high school, it trivializes 
everything. Like, whenever you see these kids in TV go through this stuff, you're just like, oh my god, this so doesn't matter. Right, but when you are a teenager, and we forget this as we get older, everything feels so extreme. Your highs are really high, your lows are really low, and so maybe you do think you're in love because this is the first time you even get a sense of what that might feel like. But I have to counter your story because I did fall in love once in high school and it was the it was not my first boyfriend but it was somebody fairly early on I was 14 I saw him and I realized you are somehow going to be really important in my life and like I learned a few things about him we talked a little bit like we talked in the library one day and I'm just like I am so enamored with you. It And it was love as I could understand it at that point. I still believe that I fell in love with him very quickly. Now, did I have some horrible relationships after that, after we broke up after a year? Absolutely. But you know what? I am still friends with that guy. And I still love him. But I'm not in love with him, obviously, since I'm married to somebody else. Well, okay, so like we could debate this a great deal about like what love is and like are teenagers emotionally capable of understanding what true love is, you know, selfless love here's, and everything like that. Okay, here's my point that I'm trying to say with this story is I do think, yes, you can be in love as a teenager. I think a lot of times we can mistake it for being love when it's really not, but it's not impossible. Does that make any sense? Uh, yes, I, I can concede to that a great deal. I think, like, with all things, there is an exception. But one thing that I really I, I really agree with you and that I think needs to be said is that as a teenager, when you are feeling things for the first time, you have no basis for comparison. And so you're like, oh, this must be what love is. And so you continually grow and understand, oh, that wasn't love. Oh, that wasn't love. That was just obsession. That mm-hmm. was a crush and everything like that. But I remember when I learned that, I was actually, like, I went to my pastor for advice on something, and I somehow love came up, and and he said, he's like, just so you know, just because you're a kid doesn't mean that these feelings aren't real. Now, could they potentially be just infatuation or just obsession? Absolutely. But the thing is, as a teenager, as someone of your age going through puberty, you are feeling things much stronger than what an adult would, and that's on a chemical, physical level. Right. It is just your biology when you have hormones doing all sorts of things to your body. And so that should not be discounted. And I think once we get older, as you said, we as adults were like, oh, that wasn't love. But that doesn't mean that what this person is feeling is not intense. Right. No, absolutely. It's definitely intense. There is no mistake about that. And so I'm glad you brought that up. But is it love? It may or may not be. And you can look back in hindsight and say, maybe I thought it was at the time. Or maybe it really was. A lot of times it's not, but sometimes it really can be. (laughs) So, okay, we kind of went off on a little tangent about what is love. We got a little philosophical, but it was good. A little bit, a little bit. But that's what we do on Punch It. So with Girl More Girl Season 2, it started off with Max, quickly got rid of Max. And then we got a little sprinkle of Christopher. And then we got rid of Christopher. Yeah, that was a little interesting. I should have seen that coming. I knew it was too good to be true, but I thought maybe, just maybe, Christopher was getting his you-know-what together. So, at the end of the season, we see the possibility of Christopher and Lorelai, and then quickly that rushes away. and (laughs) Once again. And once again. But then, as well, we see the possibility of Jess and Rory. What are you thinking about next season? 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> I really honestly haven't given it too much thought. I don't want to make any predictions. I just want to buckle up and go for the ride. I really do. Like I have a feeling that the more I watch this show, the faster I'm going to binge through it because I'm getting into it. Mm -hmm. It's getting better. I am more invested in these characters. I find them interesting. I've got to know what happens to them. So honestly, I, I really, I really don't know. I've not thought a whole lot about that. I just want the story to take me there. I don't need to make anything up myself. I like that because that's a good place to be in with any show. I think that that's when you're already in love with the characters and you've enjoyed yourself already. You're just kind of like, okay, I have no expectations except to be entertained. Here we go. And that I think that's right. one of the best places to be in. And that's a good place to be in, especially with season three, because a lot happens in season three. Like we're talking about keystone moments for not only Rory, but also Lorelai professionally as well as personally. And so Ooh. I'm really interested to see what you think of season three, especially the end of season three. Ooh, okay. It's going to really ramp up, huh? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'm ready. And honestly, I cannot wait already to talk about it. <laughs> I think it's going to be a, a very exquisite long it's going to be a really long podcast, probably, because it sounds like it's going to be just jam-packed. We're going to have to talk about all of it. <laughs> well, we're going to do that in the future. So until then, please, everyone, go to thenerdparty.com and check out all of our previous episodes. This is episode 19, so you got 18 to pick from. And please also check out all of our other shows. we got so many shows coming at you every single day of the week we're really proud of that figure we got new content coming to you every single day of the week and if you would like to write us if you would like to write us a suggestion of what you would like us to talk about you can go to the nerdparty.com contact select punch it from the drop down menu fill out the form it'll send an email straight to us and from there you can say hey i want you to talk about this i don't want you to talk about this or i think you guys are crazy because uh, gilmore girls season two was not that good we would love to hear your opinions <laughs> on season two of gilmore girls how do you think it was written was it written well was it written poorly was it too much of a trope with jess are you team jess let us know you, you <laughs> oh, can gosh. also tell us on should we do a poll <laughs> <laughs> no those polls have been done to death but one thing that okay. they can do is they can go to facebook.com slash the nerd party. Give us a like. And you can also find us on Twitter at join nerd party. You can find me personally on Twitter at the insane Robin. And you can find me at Oh, the profanity. Well, this was season two on the writing of Gilmore girls. I cannot wait to do season three. And hopefully it's so good that we won't even have to punch it. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.